Chapter One of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Ormond, Chapter One. What? No music, no dancing at Castle Hermitage tonight, and all the ladies sitting in a formal circle, petrifying into perfect statues cried sir ulic o'shane as he entered the drawing-room between ten and eleven o'clock at night accompanied by what he called his rear-guard veterans of the old school of good fellows who at those times in ireland times long since past deemed it essential to health happiness and manly character to swallow and show themselves able to stand after swallowing a certain number of bottles of claret per day or night now then continued sir ulic of all the figures in nature or art the formal circle is universally the most obnoxious to conversation and to me the most formidable all my faculties are spellbound here i am like a bird in a circle of chalk that dare not move so much as its head or its eyes and can't for the life of it take to its legs a titter ran round that part of the circle where the young ladies sat sir ulic was a favourite and they rejoiced when he came among them because as they observed he always said something pleasant or set something pleasant a-going lady o'shane for mercy's sake let us have no more of these permanent circle sittings at castle hermitage my dear sir ulic i am sure i should be very glad if it were possible replied lady o'shane to have no more permanent sittings at castle hermitage but when gentlemen are at their bottle i really don't know what the ladies can do but sit in a circle can't they dance in a circle or any way or have not they an elegant resource in their music there's many here who to my knowledge can caper as well as they modulate said sir ulic to say nothing of cards for those that like them lady anneli does not like cards said lady o'shane and i could not ask any of these young ladies to waste their breath and their execution singing and playing before the gentlemen came out these young ladies would not i am sure do us old fellows the honour of waiting for us and the young beaux deserted to your tea-table a long hour ago so why you have not been dancing is a mystery beyond my comprehension tea or coffee sir ulic o'shane for the third time of asking cried a sharp female voice from the remote tea-table wouldn't you swear to that being the voice of a presbyterian whispered sir ulic over his shoulder to the curate then aloud he replied to the lady miss black you are three times too obliging neither tea nor coffee i'll take from you to-night i thank you kindly fortunate for yourself sir for both are as cold as stones and no wonder said miss black no wonder echoed lady o'shane looking at her watch and sending forth an ostentatious sigh what o'clock is it by your ladyship asked miss black i have a notion it's tremendously late no matter we are not pinned to ours in this house miss black said sir ulic walking up to the tea-table and giving her a look which said as plainly as look could say you had better be quiet 
lady o'shane followed her husband and putting her arm within his began to say something in a fondling tone and in a most conciliatory manner she went on talking to him for some moments he looked absent and replied coldly i'll take a cup of coffee from you now miss black said he drawing away his arm from his wife who looked much mortified we are too long lady o'shane added he standing here like lovers talking to no one but ourselves awkward in company like lovers the sound pleased poor lady o'shane's ear and she smiled for the first time this night lady o'shane was perhaps the last woman in the room whom a stranger would have guessed to be sir ulick's wife he was a fine gallant off-hand looking irishman with something of dash in his tone and air which at first view might lead a common observer to pronounce him to be vulgar but at five minutes after sight a good judge of men and manners would have discovered in him the power of assuming whatever manner he chose from the audacity of the callous profligate to the deference of the accomplished courtier the capability of adapting his conversation to his company and his views whether his object were to set the senseless table in a roar or to insinuate himself into the delicate female heart of this latter power his age had diminished but not destroyed the influence the fame of former conquests still operated in his favour though he had long since passed his splendid meridian of gallantry while sir ulick is drinking his cup of cold coffee we may look back a little into his family history to go no farther than his legitimate loves he had successively won three wives who had each in her turn been desperately enamoured the first he loved and married imprudently for love at seventeen the second he admired and married prudently for ambition at thirty the third he hated but married from necessity for money at five-and-forty the first wife miss annalee after ten years martyrdom of the heart sank childless a victim it was said to love and jealousy the second wife lady theodosia struggled stoutly for power backed by strong and high connections having moreover the advantage of being a mother and mother of an only son and heir the representative of a father in whom ambition had by this time become the ruling passion the lady theodosia stood her ground wrangling and wrestling through a fourteen years wedlock till at last to sir ulick's great relief not to say joy her ladyship was carried off by a bad fever or a worse apothecary his present lady formerly mrs scraggs a london widow of very large fortune happened to see sir ulick when he went to present some address or settle some point between the english and irish government he was in deep mourning at the time and the widow pitied him very much but she was not the sort of woman he would ever have suspected could like him she was a strict pattern lady severe on the times and not unfrequently lecturing young men gratis now sir ulick o'shane was a sinner 
how then could he please a saint he did however but the saint did not please him though she set to work for the good of his soul and in her own person relaxed to please his taste even to the wearing of rouge and pearl powder and false hair and false eyebrows and all the falsifications which the setters-up could furnish but after she had purchased all of youth which age can purchase for money it would not do the widow scraggs might with her lack-lustre eyes have speculated for ever in vain upon sir ulic but that fortunately for her passion at one and the same time the irish ministry were turned out and an irish canal burst sir ulic losing his place by the change of ministry and one half of his fortune by the canal in which it had been sunk and having spent in unsubstantial schemes and splendid living more than the other half now in desperate misery laid hold of the widow scraggs after a nine days courtship she became a bride and she and her plum in the stocks but not her messuage house and lands in kent became the property of sir ulic o'shane love was then lord of all with her and she was now to accompany sir ulic to ireland late in life she was carried to a new country and set down among a people whom she had all her previous days been taught to hold in contempt or aversion she dreaded irish disturbances much and irish dirt more she was persuaded that nothing could be right good or genteel that was not english her habits and tastes were immutably fixed her experience had been confined to a london life and in proportion as her sphere of observation had been contracted her disposition was intolerant she made no allowance for the difference of opinion customs and situation much less for the faults or foibles of people who were to her strangers and foreigners her ladyship was therefore little likely to please or be pleased in her new situation her husband was the only individual the only thing animate or inanimate that she liked in ireland and while she was desperately in love with an irishman she disliked ireland and the irish even the irish talents and virtues their wit humour generosity of character and freedom of manner were lost upon her her country neighbours were repelled by her air of taciturn self-sufficiency and she for her part declared she would have been satisfied to have lived alone at castle hermitage with sir ulic but sir ulic had no notion of living alone with her or for anybody his habits were all social and convivial he loved show and company he had been all his life in the habit of entertaining all ranks of people at castle hermitage from his excellency the lord lieutenant and the commander-in-chief for the time being to tim the gauger and honest tom kelly the stalko he talked of the necessity of keeping up a neighbourhood and maintaining his interest in the county as the first duties of man ostensibly sir ulic had no motive in all this but the hospitable wish of seeing castle hermitage one continued scene of festivity 
but under this good fellowship and apparent thoughtlessness and profusion there was an eye to his own interest and a keen view to the improvement of his fortune and the advancement of his family with these habits and views it was little likely that he should yield to the romantic jealous or economic tastes of his new lady a bride ten years older than himself lady o'shane was soon after her arrival in ireland compelled to see her house as full of company as it could possibly hold and her ladyship was condemned eternally to do the honours to successive troops of friends of whom she knew nothing and of whom she disliked all she saw or heard her dear sir ulic was or seemed so engrossed by the business of pleasure so taken up with his guests that but a few minutes in the day could she ever obtain of his company she saw herself surrounded by the young the fair and the gay to whom sir ulic devoted his assiduous and gallant attentions and though his age and his being a married man seemed to preclude in the opinion of the cool or indifferent spectator all idea of any real cause for jealousy yet it was not so with poor lady o'shane's magnifying imagination the demon of jealousy tortured her and to enhance her sufferings she was obliged to conceal them lest they should become subjects of private mockery or public derision it is the peculiar misfortune or punishment of misplaced and yet more of unseasonable passions that in their distresses they obtain no sympathy and while the passion is in all its consequence tragic to the sufferer in all its exhibitions it is ludicrous to the spectator lady o'shane could not be young and would not be old so without the charms of youth or the dignity of age she could neither inspire love nor command respect nor could she find fit occupation or amusement or solace or refuge in any combination of company or class of society unluckily as her judgment never discriminating was now blinded by jealousy the two persons of all his family connections upon whom she pitched as the peculiar objects of her fear and hatred were precisely those who were most disposed to pity and befriend her to serve her in private with sir ulic and to treat her with deference in public these two persons were lady annalee and her daughter lady annalee was a distant relation of sir ulic's first wife during whose life some circumstances had occurred which had excited her ladyship's indignation against him for many years all commerce between them had ceased lady annalee was a woman of generous indignation strong principles and warm affections her rank her high connections her high character her having from the time she was left a young and beautiful widow devoted herself to the education and the interests of her children her having persevered in her lofty course superior to all the numerous temptations of love vanity or ambition by which she was assailed her long and able administration of a large property during the minority of her son 
her subsequent graceful resignation of power his affection gratitude and deference for his mother which now continued to prolong her influence and exemplify her precepts in every act of his own altogether placed this lady high in public consideration high as any individual could stand in a country where national enthusiastic attachment is ever excited by certain noble qualities congenial with the irish nature sir ulic o'shane sensible of the disadvantage of having estranged such a family connection and fully capable of appreciating the value of her friendship had of late years taken infinite pains to redeem himself in lady annalee's opinion his consummate address aided and abetted and concealed as it was by his off-hand manner would scarcely have succeeded had it not been supported also by some substantial good qualities especially by the natural candour and generosity of his disposition in favour of the originally strong and through all his errors wonderfully surviving taste for virtue some of his manifold transgressions might be forgiven there was much hope and promise of amendment and besides to state things just as they were he had propitiated the mother irresistibly by his enthusiastic admiration of the daughter so that lady annalee had at last consented to revisit castle hermitage her ladyship and her daughter were now on this reconciliation visit sir ulic was extremely anxious to make it agreeable besides the credit of her friendship he had other reasons for wishing to conciliate her his son marcus was just twenty two years older than miss annalee in course of time sir ulic thought it might be a match his son could not possibly make a better beauty fortune family connections everything that the hearts of young and old desire besides for in sir ulic's calculations besides was a word frequently occurring besides miss annalee's brother was not as strong in body as in mind in two illnesses his life had been despaired of a third might carry him off his estate would probably come to miss annalee besides be this hereafter as it might there was at this present time a considerable debt due by sir ulic to these annalees with accumulated interest since the time of his first marriage and this debt would be merged in miss annalee's portion should she become his son's wife all this was well calculated but to say nothing of the character or affections of the son sir ulic had omitted to consider lady o'shane or he had taken it for granted that her love for him would induce her at once to enter into and second his views it did not so happen on the contrary the dislike which lady o'shane took at sight to both the mother and daughter to the daughter instinctively at sight of her youth and beauty to the mother reflectively on account of her matronly dress and dignified deportment in too striking contrast to her own frippery appearance 
increased every day and every hour when she saw the attentions the adoration that sir ulic paid to miss annalee and the deference and respect he showed to lady annalee all for qualities and accomplishments in which lady o'shane was conscious that she was irremediably deficient sir ulic thought to extinguish her jealousy by opening to her his views on miss annalee for his son but the jealousy taking only a new direction strengthened in its course lady o'shane did not like her stepson had indeed no great reason to like him marcus disliked her and was at no pains to conceal his dislike she dreaded the accession of domestic power and influence he would gain by such a marriage she could not bear the thoughts of having a daughter-in-law brought into the house placed in eternal comparison with her sir ulic o'shane was conscious that his marriage exposed him to some share of ridicule but hitherto except when his taste for raillery and the diversion of exciting her causeless jealousy interfered with his purpose he had always treated her ladyship as he conceived that lady o'shane ought to be treated naturally good-natured and habitually attentive to the sex he had indeed kept up appearances better than could have been expected from a man of his former habits to a woman of her ladyship's present age but if she now crossed his favourite scheme it would be all over with her her submission to his will had hitherto been a sufficient and a convenient proof and the only proof he desired of her love her ladyship's evil genius in the shape of miss black her humble companion was now busily instigating her to be refractory miss black had frequently whispered that if lady o'shane would show more spirit she would do better with sir ulic that his late wife lady theodosia had ruled him by showing proper spirit that in particular she should make a stand against the encroachments of sir ulic's son marcus and of his friend and companion young ormond in consequence of these suggestions lady o'shane had most judiciously thwarted both these young men in trifles till she had become their aversion this aversion marcus felt more than he expressed and ormond expressed more strongly than he felt to sir ulic his son and heir was his first great object in life yet though in all things he preferred the interest of marcus he was not as fond of marcus as he was of young ormond young ormond was the son of the friend of sir ulic o'shane's youthful and warm-hearted days the son of an officer who had served in the same regiment with him in his first campaign captain ormond afterwards made an unfortunate marriage that is a marriage without a fortune his friends would not see him or his wife he was soon in debt and in great distress he was obliged to leave his wife and go to india she had then one child at nurse in an irish cabin she died soon afterwards sir ulic o'shane took the child that had been left at nurse into his own house from the time it was four years old little harry ormond became his darling and grew up his favourite 
sir ulick's fondness however had not extended to any care of his education quite the contrary he had done all he could to spoil him by the most injudicious indulgence and by neglect of all instruction or discipline marcus had been sent to school and college but harry ormond meantime had been let to run wild at home the gamekeeper the huntsman and a cousin of sir ulick who called himself the king of the black islands had had the principal share in his education captain ormond his father was not heard of for many years and sir ulick always argued that there was no use in giving harry ormond the education of an estated gentleman when he was not likely to have an estate moreover he prophesied that harry would turn out the cleverest man of the two and in the progress of the two boys towards manhood sir ulick had shown a strange sort of double and inconsistent vanity in his son's acquirements and in the orphan harry's natural genius harry's extremely warm generous grateful temper delighted sir ulick but he gloried in the superior polish of his own son harry ormond grew up with all the faults that were incident to his natural violence of passions and that might necessarily be expected from his neglected and deficient education his devoted gratitude and attachment to his guardian father as he called sir ulick made him amenable in an instant even in the height and tempest of his passions to whatever sir ulick desired but he was ungovernable by most other people and rude even to insolence where he felt tyranny or suspected meanness miss black and he were always at open war to lady o'shane he submitted though with an ill grace yet he did submit for his guardian's sake where he himself only was concerned but most imprudently and fiercely he contended upon every occasion where marcus when aggrieved had declined contending with his mother-in-law upon the present occasion the two youths had been long engaged to dine with and keep the birthday of mr cornelius o'shane the king of the black islands next to sir ulick the being upon earth to whom harry ormond thought himself most obliged and to whom he felt himself most attached this he had represented to lady o'shane and had earnestly requested that as the day for the intended dance was a matter of indifference to her it might not be fixed on this day but her ladyship had purposely made it a trial of strength and had insisted upon their returning at a certain hour she knew that sir ulick would be much vexed by their want of punctuality on this occasion where the annalies were concerned though in general punctuality was a virtue for which he had no regard sir ulick had finished his cup of coffee miss black send away the tea-things send away all these things cried he young ladies better late than never you know let's have dancing now clear the decks for action the young ladies started from their seats immediately 
all was now in happy motion the servants answered promptly the tea-things retired in haste tables rolled away chairs swung into the background the folding-doors of the dancing-room were thrown open the pyramids of wax candles in the chandeliers for this was ere argans were on earth started into light the musicians tuning screwing scraping sounded discordant as they were joyful notes of preparation but where's my son where's marcus said sir ulic drawing lady o'shane aside i don't see him anywhere no said lady o'shane you know that he would go to dine to-day with that strange cousin of yours and neither he nor his companion have thought proper to return yet i wish you had given me a hint said sir ulic and i would have waited for marcus ought to lead off with miss annalee ought to be sure said lady o'shane but that is no rule for young gentlemen's conduct i told both the young gentlemen that we were to have a dance to-night i mentioned the hour and begged them to be punctual young men are never punctual said sir ulic but marcus is inexcusable to-night on account of the annalise sir ulic pondered for a moment with an air of vexation then turning to the musicians who were behind him you four-and-twenty fiddlers all in a row you gentlemen musicians scrape and tune on a little longer if you please remember you are not ready till i draw on my gloves break a string or two if necessary we will we shall please your honour i wish lady o'shane continued sir ulic in a lower tone i wish you had given me a hint of this truth to tell sir ulic i did i own conceive from your walk and way that you were not in a condition to take any hint i could give pshaw my dear after having known me i won't say loved me a calendar year how can you be so deceived by outward appearances don't you know that i hate drinking but when i have these county electioneering friends the worthy red noses to entertain i suit myself to the company by acting spirits instead of swallowing them for i should scorn to appear to flinch this was true sir ulic could and often did to the utmost perfection counterfeit every degree of intoxication he could act the rise decline and fall of the drunken man marking the whole progress from the first incipient hesitation of reason to the glorious confusion of ideas in the highest state of elevation thence through all the declining cases of stultified paralytic ineptitude down to the horizontal condition of preter pluperfect ebriety really sir ulic you are so good an actor that i don't pretend to judge i can seldom find out the truth from you so much the better for you my dear if you knew but all said sir ulic laughing if i knew but all repeated her ladyship with an alarmed look but that's not the matter in hand at present my dear sir ulic protracted the interval before the opening of the ball as long as he possibly could but in vain the young gentleman did not appear sir ulic drew on his gloves the broken strings of the violins were immediately found to be mended 
sir ulic opened the ball himself with miss annalee after making as handsome an apology for his son as the case would admit an apology which was received by the young lady with the most graceful good nature she declined dancing more than one dance and sir ulic sat down between her and lady annalee exerting all his powers of humour to divert them at the expense of his cousin the king of the black islands whose tedious fairy or whose claret or more likely whose whisky punch he was sure had been the cause of marcus's misdemeanour it was now near twelve o'clock lady o'shane who had made many aggravating reflections upon the disrespectful conduct of the young gentleman grew restless on another count the gates were left open for them the gates ought to be locked there were disturbances in the country pshaw sir ulic said opposite directions were given at opposite doors to two servants dempsey tell them they need not lock the gates till the young gentlemen come home or at least till one o'clock said sir ulic stone said lady o'shane to her own man in a very low voice go down directly and see that the gates are locked and bring me the keys dempsey an irishman who was half drunk forgot to see or say anything about it stone an englishman went directly to obey his lady's commands and the gates were locked and the keys brought to her ladyship who put them immediately into her work-table half an hour afterwards as lady o'shane was sitting with her back to the glass door of the greenhouse which opened into the ballroom she was startled by a peremptory tap on the glass behind her she turned and saw young ormond pale as death and stained with blood the keys of the gate instantly cried he for mercy's sake end of chapter one